Nick Terzo, and you are listening to The Radical. This week's guest hails from the Tobik First Nation within the parameters of New Brunswick, Canada. It took many years of research to create his debut record, honoring his nearly lost native language. Not only is he a classically trained musician, but also an anthropologist and a musicologist. His record, Wolas Tuwik Lintu Wagon Awa, won both a Polaris Prize and a Juno Award. Jeremy Dutcher joins me to discuss his anthropology work, language, preservation of culture and rituals, and transforming an ancient language into contemporary music. Coming up, my conversation with Jeremy Dutcher. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for doing the show. So happy to be here, Nick. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to speak to you. You have a fascinating um, history and uh, you made a fascinating debut record. Um, we can talk about whether there's a follow-up coming. I want to know what you've been doing, if there's something to follow this up soon. Um, it was critically well-received, to say the least. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, but I do want to talk about like the journey. I mean, this took many years for you kind of to create your first record, right? Yeah, no, for, for real. Like, um, I think the the music industry works at a really frenetic pace <laughs> a lot of the time, you know? And so it's like, you know, when's your next single? Like, you know, the year albums, like, you know, it's like, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't pay attention to any of that. Uh, because like when I started doing the work that led to the album, it wasn't even an album. It was strictly just a research project that I was doing um, as a musicologist at a university here in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Um, and from that, doing that research, which was like looking at the, the traditional uh, field recordings of my ancestors, the Wolustowiec, um, through hearing those recordings, it really set me on a different path, you know, because, yeah. And if you listen to the record too, you can hear them as well. Cause I play, I play along with them. And so, so when you hear those recordings, I think, uh, even if you're not coming from that community or you don't understand the language, you understand that there's a, there's an intrinsic beauty within those voices. And it's a real snapshot of a moment in history. You know, these are recordings coming from the early 1900s. So from 1907 to 1911, these were- Who recorded these? So this is a, like a, a, a anthropologist um, named William uh, H. Meshling. And he went around and he actually lived among my people for seven years and was like, uh, and that's the thing, you know, uh, when I started to sit in this museum, it wasn't just about the songs, right? Like there was a huge collection of, uh, and this is very early recording technology days too. So this is before they had records, before, you know, 8-track, any of that shit, right? Like, cylinders, right? Cylinders, wax like cylinders. wax cylinders, right? And so these are mm. some of the very first early recording technologies. In fact, those cylinders that our songs were recorded on, they still say Edison along the top, you know, because he invented the, the, you know, so it's like, it's really proto recording technology. And it's so amazing that it just happens to be my ancestors. And so when I started to dig into that, right. So what I was saying too, he was there for seven years and he wasn't just collecting, um, songs but he was also collecting photographs and stories and you know historical accounts and all of these really uh, important narratives so as i get to sit down at that museum 
and I spent a couple of weeks there um, really digging through the, 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 the breadth of everything that was in there. Um, you felt immediately a sense of responsibility, right? Because, you know, as, you know, somebody who was coming with a university education, access to a lot of privilege uh, and ability to navigate those spaces that not like a lot of indigenous people don't have, you know? And so for me, it was a responsibility to leverage that relationship to power in that space and create a more accessible way for our people to engage this material, right? Because that was the whole problem for me um, was when I heard about these recordings, um, it was the first, like, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't young when I heard about them. Like I was in my twenties and I was like, what? Like that exists? Like, cool. Okay. I got to go to the museum. I got to check it out. Um, but the fact that, you know, I had to wait until I was that old to understand that there's this huge uh, depository or repository of knowledge uh, that is sitting there um, that was left for us by our ancestors. Um, that for me was the issue in itself was the fact that they weren't accessible. So for me, what did they encompass, Jeremy? Like, what was on? Was that an interview thing? Was it the rituals? Was it yeah, it was kind of a little bit of everything. You know, it was kind of, I always say, like, the intentions for the recording were a little bit backwards, but I'm glad they exist, you know? But the whole idea around the turn of the century was that um, because of genocide, that Indigenous people and their culture was dying out. And that this was the last generation in which we would have true, authentic whatever that means, uh, indigenous culture. And so it was, uh, it was on the responsibility of the institutions of knowledge, the universities to go and preserve and protect that knowledge, you know, with the thought that we wouldn't be able to do that ourselves, right? Based on societal factors, based on the projects of assimilation that were happening across Turtle Island, across the continent. So, yeah, I, I like, um, you know, it was a bit of a paternalistic, um, endeavor you know uh, the i guess the whole uh, the whole discipline of anthropology is is a little bit like that you know the looking outward onto others um and so i guess this what i what i had hoped to do was breathe a little bit of auto ethnography into into that archive and really be like okay but like what as you know a contemporary indigenous person what do i have to say to that archive like let's let's take let's take the the power structure of the museum out of the equation. Let's take the anthropologist out of the equation. So I actually don't, you know, in my interviews, I don't usually even bring him up because for me, you know, he was a tool <laughs> um, mm. of the preservation of my songs. And so I think more about that ancestor, you know, and we know their names, like their names are on the recording. So, you know, I, I've sort of built this like kind of funny relationship with my ancestors, you know, where I like, I can hear their voices, you know, I hear the songs that they sing and the stories that they tell, but I'll never meet them. And I wonder sometimes like, what, like when, you know, you know, 120 years ago, whenever like uh, this anthropologist brings his big sound recording equipment to the reserve and says, hey, sing me your songs. And I think about like that ancestor of mine when they when they lean forward and sang into that into that, like, who did they think they were singing to? 
Like, did they know, did they know it was me? Like, right. <laughs> I, like they, there's no way. I don't think they could have thought that, you know, a hundred years later that this, you know, little um, university nerd is going to come and, and, and uh, start to dig around in your archive. Um, but, you know, th again, this is strictly the direction of my uh, elder from, uh, and, and, and I always love to talk about this piece of it too, because I think it's really important to talk about uh, mentorship and, and, and the uh, sort of intergenerational relationships when it comes to music making, because, yeah, I guess uh, being studied in a classical music setting, I didn't really feel that same sense of uh, mentorship and that same sense of like uh, openness to helping each other and lifting each other up. It, it, you know, that world comes, uh, and, and I think it has to do with class too, but it comes with uh, a lot of values that are kind of, as an indigenous person are foreign to me, you know? And so, um, yeah, I guess, for me, the whole reason why I wanted to create music um, that spoke to me as an indigenous person was because I didn't see myself reflected in the mainstream sort of, I was studying as an opera singer at the time. And I thought, well, like this is like, even when they talk about us, it's not, it has nothing to do with us. Cause it's all just, and you know, I, 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 cause I'd like to talk to Americans about this too, because you know, every media portrayal that they think they know about indigenous people is, is a fallacy. It's, it's all a construction of what somebody else thinks native people do act like and say like with a few notable exceptions. And I think now more and more so we're starting to get like uh, into the, into the writing rooms, into the, into the decision-making spaces. And I think, you know, that's really what's going to change things because when we can start to like bring our own narrative forward, then we can actually start to have a relationship for the first time, like non-indigenous people and indigenous people, because I think that pathway hasn't been cleared because there's been that paternalism, that top down, but also that sense of like, um, yeah, I guess just, and, and, and through that, we've come to not value our own stories, you know? And so I think, I hope with my work, I can kind of flip that and, and encourage indigenous people to look deeper into our ways and deeper into the history and, and into, um, because what I came to understand too is it's not just that archive, that museum is not just our own material. Like it's not just Willowstoke, like my particular small little nation in, in, in Canada, but it's like everybody's nation. Like they did this for every nation, every community has archive. And so I just think it's like, um, for me, I knew how much it brought to my life and my understanding of my culture and my language and all this stuff. Um, so I, I, I'm just trying to go out and proselytize, I guess, and tell uh, other young indigenous people, we got to go back because, because there's like, um, there's a, there's a way that are, that, are, that the old people live um, and an understanding that they have through our languages. And, and, and two, I think language is a really important piece of this. Sorry, I'm really talking a lot. I'm just going <laughs> to. No, I, I, I guess this is fascinating to me. Yeah. What is the language though? What, what is the name of the language? Yeah, so I can, I'll, I'll break it down for you a little bit. So, so uh, me and my family, we come from um, uh, a river basin. So there's like a, it comes down and like a valley into a river. And that river is called Willowstoke. And so we call ourselves the people of the beautiful river. And so that is Wulusto'ig. So Wulusto'ig is the people of the beautiful river. Now, the language that we speak is the language of that river. So we say Wulusto'kwe. 
So Wolustigwa is the language of the river, but that's also our language too. So, um, so yeah. Um, and you're and that and you're Pete. I mean, you're talking about like New Brunswick, right? You're kind of east of Maine. Is that well? Yeah, it's, it's where you were located. Because of course, like we did not cross the borders. The borders crossed us. And right. So, like uh, <laughs> there's a there's a there's a tribe in Maine called the the Passamaquoddy. Or, or in our language, we just say Beskadamugati. And those are the ones just in kind of like the, the, the northeastern, yeah, northeastern part of Maine, just right on that border. And so we speak the same language. We, you know, we have all the same customs. You know, we, you know, literally it's the same. We're the same people. Uh, and yet because of the border, we've been divided and now we are separated. And, you know, um, there's a sense of, yeah, we, and, and two, just because of, the different like governments that we are, you know, uh, being uh, cared for by, um, <laughs> we have very different experiences as people, you know, and um, so yeah. But uh, mostly our nation is 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 here in New Brunswick, uh, but also in Quebec as well. Um, and so that's the thing when we start to talk about indigenous territories, just to like define it to one province or one state, or it's just like all of these lines were just drawn at some point by some person who actually doesn't even know the, <laughs> the landscape. Right. So, right. um, so yeah, you know, it's like, um, I see our solidarities as extending much further than, than the American border or provincial borders or state borders. Um, you know, uh, when we start to think about our, our nations, you know, as they were before the arrival of Europeans, um, that for me is a, it defines us um, in a much more clear way, in a much, in a way that makes more sense because, yeah, I guess just those, um, because we have been here for so long as indigenous people, the lines that we have drawn or the, 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 the spaces in which, oh, those are the middle lands or those are the, that's the border, like the mountains of the border. You know, it's like, this makes sense. You know, it's like, the, the, what, we, you, you went on a map and drew a straight line through like <laughs> you know, <laughs> water systems and that doesn't make sense. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I'm not trying to redraw any borders here, but, uh, but I will say like, as an indigenous person, like uh, we see, um, that those borders are really new, really new in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's a really, Very new, new, a really yeah. new concept. So, um, so, so while you're doing this, I mean, look, what sparks you to say, listen, I am a anthropologist. I'm a musicologist. I'm a classically trained musician. Yeah. I got to do something here. Like what, well, I guess, how did, how did that turn into like a, where did this all these ideas join for you to make a record? I know around? it sounds like it's so obvious that it would just be the pathway. Like all of these things kind of coming together to just be like, yeah, obviously you have to do that. It's like uh, you did the research. You have the. It's not obvious to me. I know, so, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. But for yeah, yeah. and that's the thing. Like for me, it's so un uh, unmagnificent, just because it's my own pathway. This is like everything I've done thus far has just led me to 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 be able to take a stage and to talk about our stories. You know. Um, in in a way right and i think what is what's different right now about this moment what what i always say is like what i'm doing right now the ability to go out there and to share our language and culture and songs with with non-indigenous people um it was not even possible one generation ago right mm. it's like there was not one there was not an appetite and just a little bit i know it's different in the states but in canada here up until 1952 it was illegal for us to go and to share songs so 
this is like it's very recent history that it's just kind of like starting to become okay for us to like come out and and, and start to share these stories so there's a reason why we haven't heard from native people right and uh you know we wonder why that is right so we think about how um a state well states like canada like america are designed on top of existing places right and so that settler colonial mindset has to disimagine has to unimagine an existence of a people and oh, it's done it very well it's excelled at it right exactly and it's like it's written the textbook on it and we look at like apartheid that was created and very much the nazi regime looked to north america and said hey those folks are doing really good at that whole genocide thing. Maybe we should uh, we should take a look. Sorry, not to make a joke about it, but it's like right. you know, it's it, it's like uh, we must acknowledge that these are the roots of of, of our society and, and and that we've built um, these beautiful ideas of countries. You know what I'm saying? It's like I believe in those ideas um, of pluralism and democracy. This is all beautiful, but it's not something unique to here. <laughs> And it's not something that um, only lives here. And, and often, you know, when we also when we look at the American Constitution, we understand that that is really, really um, uh, influenced by uh, the Iroquois Confederacy and the fact that those those different branches of government. That's anyway. So it's like, uh, you know, for somebody like Rick Santorum to go on TV and say that the the, the contribution of, of of indigenous people to the American way of life is like it's laughable. It's just anyway. It's just uh, you and, and you have to sort of have to laugh to stop from the from the anger and the and the tears of trying to um, advocate for just your existence in 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 the only place that your your people have ever known as a homeland, right? And right. even from a linguistic standpoint, like I'm, I'm living now in Montreal, Quebec, uh, where the first language is French. And I come from uh, the East Coast where first language is English, but neither of those languages are, are Wallistigwe, right? Um, and both of those languages are spoken everywhere around the world. You know, it's like, and, and to here in Quebec, because it's a smaller language group than English in Canada, there's this hierarchy that's like, um, then Quebec feels threatened. Like, oh, we have to protect our language, but it's like, French will be fine. You know, French, is, there's a whole, there's a whole country of people that speak <laughs> over there. Actually, have you been to Africa? Like pretty much the whole continent speaks French. So it's like, French will be okay. But like, what about, what about the languages that only happen here? You know, like, mm. for example, for me, there's less than 100 fluent speakers of my language left. You know, exactly, exactly what you're doing with your eyes. It's like, for me, that dictates the work that I need to do in my life. Because when I was growing up, I can't just go and turn on the radio or turn on the television and then have access to my language, have access to my culture. Like I had to go and seek it out. And I had to like uh, go to basically live an live a alternative existence to every other childhood that my friend had, which was just like, go to school and like, hang with your family and that's it. But like, also my mom made sure that we were like raised in the culture too and like knew our language and like all this stuff. So it's like, um, you kind did of- Did you hear it? It's, it's growing up then or did you not hear it? Or did you- Yeah, it was like- Was there too much assimilation at that point or did you guys actually hear it spoken? Well, yeah, definitely heard it spoken a lot. Like for us, because my father is non-Indigenous and my mother is Indigenous, uh, we didn't speak it as first language at home, 
Um, but when she wanted to talk to us directly, you better believe, <laughs> you better believe it came out. And then her, like her, when she talked to her, you know, mom or, or her family, like it was always, but it took me a while, like even as a young person to understand like what was going on, like that there was another language happening and that um, I knew that there was something going on because we would only speak it when we went to go visit that family or that side of my family. And I was like, hmm. But anyway, after a while, I figured it out. And like, um, and, and then after, like, when, when you get to a certain age in our community, because our language is so um, endangered, you know, um, there's a lot of rhetoric around like the importance of it, you know? And so um, I guess I was just uh, indoctrinated and uh, propagated to uh, coming up, but it worked, you know, it, it, it made me believe in the value of our language and, and, and understand that um, it's all we have, you know, at the end of the day, um, it is the only way as an oral culture, right? Okay. So like, Two, we must acknowledge that like uh, up until even, okay, so just my language particularly, up until 25 years ago, we didn't have a written system. There was no way of writing our language. Mm. But it's a very recent creation. So for example, my mother who grew up, you know, in the language, speaking the language, didn't know how to write it until two years ago. So, so for us, we're the first generation who kind of have the, the skills to, to speak and write, um, which... Um, it's cool, but also um, changes the oral language and it codifies it in a way, um, but preserves it too. So I don't know. It's like a really interesting moment right now where we're like, um, we still have lots of fluent speakers, like not lots, but like we have some fluent speakers alive um, and they're with us and they want to teach. And it's about, I guess, connecting the young people that want to learn with those people that want to teach. And so um, I've been really inspired right now. There's a project um, happening in our territory to build the first Wolustigwe uh, uh, immersion school, um, which is really exciting um, and something that we desperately need. And, and, and my mom is like, she's kind of taking the charge on that project. So I'm just like, every time I get a chance, I'm just like, I want to talk about <laughs> it. Cause it's so, for me, it's so fun. And it's like, I didn't, it's just like, I had no opportunity like that growing up at all. There was no, there was no space um, for us to go and learn our language. We just had to do it from listening, you know, being at home and listening to the stories or hitting the books real hard. And that's basically what I've been doing for the last, you know, um, three years is because I, I, I didn't just want to be able to, you know, say hi and how are you and be able to pray or whatever. You know, it's like, no, I want to be well, I actually, okay. If we're getting, if we really want to get into it, I don't believe in fluency. I think this is like a, it's a myth. Even in English, it's like, I, I, I learn, I learn like three English words every day and it's my first language. So uh, how dare I consider myself fluent, you know, fluent, uh, fluency is like a, an unfurling or like a, a ripening into a language, you know, um, rather than like an end point. So, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Anyway, this is getting into like. Oh, that makes sense. So here, here's what I want to talk to you about. Yeah, what's up? So we, so, so, so we're doing this. We're it's an anthropology project, really. It's a musicology yeah. project. Yeah. You kind of do it, you know. Look, you're down a rabbit hole in a way, right? You're very focused. I mean, you're in it. I mean, then you've got to put this record out. Um, and I wish I could pronounce the name of it correctly. I would totally screw it up so I'm gonna okay can we go slow and do it together is that okay it's, it, it, yeah it's well, yes let's do it okay so the first word i want to do it yeah so the first word is um 
it's talking about the people, right? So remember I was telling you that river, the Wolostok River, and the people who live on it. So that's Wolostok. So that's the first word, Wolostok. So that's our people. Wolostok. Uh, and then the second word, our word, um, the verb to sing is lintu. Lintu. So uh, the word for a song is lintuagen. And the word for songs, plural, is lintuagen awa. So it's, so it's, the whole thing is, so this is what happens. <laughs> this is the name of the record. It comes out. Yeah, there you go. Y- you have many accolades. You win a Polaris Prize up in Canada. You win a Uno, Juno Award. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, how does that feel? I mean, it's a solitary thing that you just did. Now it's out in front of all these people. You have to perform it. It's how did you yeah. balance that? It's totally, it was totally weird because it went from like being, like you said, like a solitary project and something that was very much um, personal, you know, in my language, from my community. Um, and then you have to go out and you have to, well, I don't have to, but I did want to. Like, there's a part of me that was like, you know, I want it to be accessible for my people, but also other people need to hear this too. You know, this is like, it's important. It's important that, you know, um, newcomers to this land know the songs that have been here for a real long time. Because keep in mind too, all the songs that that record is based off, you know, those recordings are going back a hundred years. But, you know, when you get to read the, the field notes and all the journals from this anthropologist, you know, he's talking to these people and he, and the singers before they, before they sing their song, they say, well, my, my grandmother taught me this song and she learned it from her grandmother, you know? So it's like, think about that. That's like already, that's like extending that by two generations. And so these songs are going back, you know, maybe thousands of years, you know, and that is like, in, in an oral culture, we have to understand that song is not just entertainment. It can't be, right? Song is, is, is how we pass on our worldview. It's how we pass on our culture. It's really a form of law as well, right? Because when we don't have written law, our songs tell us how, how to live. And so I guess for me, I wanted to reignite this sense of, of song as more than just entertainment or something as more than just what we listen to, but something that, that carries our, our worldview into the future you know, and for the next generations. Well, I think you fully accomplished that. So, um, and I'm, it's nice to see it acknowledged, um, yeah. you know, cause sometimes that doesn't happen. So right, I, and the prizes were I, cool, you know, it's like, um, getting maybe more so than the prizes or the, the, the accolade, it's like the opportunity to go and represent, you know, to be a representation of something bigger than yourself. Um, on a stage that hasn't seen a lot of your people, you know, that hasn't, you know, um, engaged with our stories uh, in a substantive way. And so for me, just to be able to go on that stage, and that's why I kind of, sometimes I bring out the ostentatious uh, dress or the, sometimes I bring out the capes and and all that kind of uh, dramatic flair stuff, just because I think it's like, to have that kind of, space 
to go and to express not just something that's indigenous openly and, and honestly, but also something that's queer and something that is like um, in between and both. Right. And that I think is like also an important thing to acknowledge is that like often, you know, with identity politic and like uh, we are separating ourselves out, but it's like, we can't do that because our identities are, are, are so intermingled with each other and they, there's such an interplay between them, you know? And, and so I guess, and I, I, when I look to my next record too, that's kind of what it's, it's looking at is that intersection of experience of being both, uh, you know, an LGBTQ person, but also being an indigenous person and what, what that means, you know? And there's a quote, I guess, that kind of inspired it. Um, and it says, the place where two discriminations meet is a dangerous place to live. And I mm. thought, when I heard that for the first time, I thought, wow, yeah, that, that speaks to my experience for sure, you know, because it's like, and yet, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of hard stuff on, on that record that's coming, a lot of like painful things, because we're dealing with the history of colonization and of, of domination and of, of, uh, of some really hard stuff. And yet through it, exists um a, a resilience and an emergence in beauty like the fact that i can still speak language even after you know over 500 years of 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 sort of european uh assimilation tactics you know we're still here and we still sing we still speak we still dance we still know our ways and i think that at the end of the day no matter how hard it is that is a celebration of, of, of the human spirit of resilience. That is not even about, you know, native or non-native or whatever. It's just about like, look at what we did. We survived that, you know, we've been going through this pandemic. Yeah, try try the pandemic of, of colonial violence for the last right. 500 years, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, anyway. So when, when can we expect this record? I mean, you're deep in it now? Well, like I just, I literally like uh, three days ago, I just got back to the city here in Montreal. Um, I went to Toronto to record it just cause, uh, yeah, I, I, I just love, I love making music in that city. And there's a, there's a energy, like kind of a, a frenetic kind of like whoa that happens there that that uh i'm really excited by so um so there we did all the kind of like the bed tracks right or the foundation of the sounds um yeah all the piano, basic the tracks drums, the, yeah. the bass all that stuff so so that's kind of the point where we're at now like that's kind of we captured everything in that front and then um <laughs> i also like had this wild idea because uh you know coming from that sort of classical background too. So there's also going to be an orchestra and a choir on this record. Um, ambitious. You're going big. You're going big. We'll see how that goes. But uh, <laughs> so we got to, we got to, we got to, like everything's kind of composed for that, but we got to like uh, record it now. So that's kind of the next step. Um, can you do all those orchestration things yourself? Uh, or, or I mean, I could like that would be that would be like uh, really like going back to my like music school days of like uh, transcription class. But uh, no, I don't want to do that, and I don't choose to do that. And I pay somebody who loves to do that to do. There that. you go. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, I, of course, I have input, and I'm like often like uh, at that table sharing ideas and like. But it's just the 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 speed in which some people can do that work. Right. Like, why would I, why would I, <laughs> you know, but it's like, um, at a certain point you have to, I think there's this idea of the like genius artist or like the, the, the solitary 
person that can do it all themselves. And that's a really romantic idea, but I think it's kind of bullshit, right? Like I think, I don't know, I don't, I've not met a single artist working at a high level that, that works that way. You know, we rely on teams and people that um, help us to realize our visions and, uh, and what we want to do. So um, I'm very, very lucky that, I, that I'm working with uh, one of my favorite string players and string uh, arrangers up here in Canada um, who works with some pretty heavy hitter artists like uh, was just working on the Arcade Fire record, was a string uh, orchestrator for uh, Buffy St. Marie, which is actually how I got connected to. I was like, who's doing Buffy's strings? I just, I, I want to use them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it kind of works but yeah um he's going to be kind of building the the that sound world uh through the orchestra and i'm really excited i did like and that's sort of how i got onto it was like last year before the pandemic i did an orchestral tour for my last record uh and we did with orchestras across canada um a presentation of that record and to sing and there's no other feeling in the world than to sing on top of that like bed of sound that is so broad, like, because it's, it's really capturing every sonic frequency, <laughs> every like open space of sonic possibility is, is taken by the lowness of the double bass or the height of the flute or the brightness of the trumpet. You know, it's all, it's all there. And it's the height of like, you know, whatever we can, we can sit here and talk about the like weird colonial history of the orchestra and the fact that like, what am I doing bringing my music there? But at the same time, what I'm, what I want to do is I want to lift up our music into those spaces and to say that like every music has pedigree, every music has mentorship, every music has, has that, like the, 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 the work that it takes to get to a certain level. And we need to acknowledge that because I think for a long time, classical music has kind of put a fence around itself and said like, this is art music. Like we are creating top tier and sure. Great. You know what, if you want to spend like eight hours a day practicing the violin, that's cool. But there's like, um, there's other ways of making music that are just as beautiful, just as precious and, and, and go back just as far and have a really strong lineage. So for me, I guess just incorporating orchestra into indigenous music is about sort of leveling that playing field for the first time and saying that like, um, our melodies are just as beautiful. And they, if we dress them up in that way, you know, they're gonna soar just as far. So I really hope so. <laughs> Fantastic, I love it. Well, and the good news is you get to play, you know, acoustically perfect rooms versus, you know, clubs are, or something, <laughs> all these parts. It's like, I've been very fortunate, like this whole time through the process is to like, um, have access to these kind of spaces that elevate the project and, and, and the experience for, for audience members. Um, you know, to play in these soft seat theaters where people can sit back and witness music, you know, and listen in a deep way rather than like hearing people talk, grabbing a drink and, uh, you know, this is fine. And I like to go to shows like that too, but, but just in what I do, I, I, I like to have people um, there to listen to a story. So, yeah, I hope Fantastic. to keep going in that direction and we'll see where that takes me. Um, I have no idea. Hopefully to, to Houston sometime. We got to get you in the States. Yeah, that's for sure. I would you love need that. to come down here. We got to figure something out. So well, I, I did one really cool gig in the States that I really, that I'll never forget, which was NPR Tiny Desk. 
uh, which was like, uh, that was, I was like, if that's my introduction into playing in the States, I think that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty good way to start. But I saw that actually, it was great. There's so much to see though. And I, I really want to come down and see our relatives down there and, and, and just share this music. Cause I think, you know, across Turtle Island, which is what we call North America, um, indigenous people are everywhere in, in every city and in every town, you know, we are out there. And I think it is, well, it helps all of us to go out and to meet our neighbors, you know, to get to know who we live beside. And, you know, if we want to take it one step further, whose land we live on. But, you know, I think that's like, that's, that's 201. Now we'll stick with the 101, like, just go meet your neighbors, like go to a powwow, go to a gathering, you know, we want to, we want to tell you our stories, you know, and, and that's a beautiful offering. And the thing is, it's always been that. My, my elders say it's always been a welcome song the whole time. And I think that is a really beautiful philosophy to remember when engaging in these really difficult conversations about colonialism, about the really tough history of how this land came to be, is that that hand has always been extended, even in the face of a lot of really difficult history, that, that, that welcome has never gone away. And that's what the extension of why I do what I do is, because it's still that welcome. You know, it's still that come, come around our fire, you know, let, let us show you what we do. Because for a long time, you've been trying to like control the way that we, we don't want to do that anymore. So you come around our fire and, you know, we'll, 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 we'll show you how we do things. <laughs> so I hope That's we can awesome. be that. And I, I want to bring the fire. I want to bring the fire down south too. So I hope I can do that someday. That's awesome. Well, listen, I'm grateful to you. I thank you because, you know, as an anthropologist, as a musicologist, um, you're extremely talented as a musician and singer. Um, it's just been, man, you're a full package. It, it's been really great to be introduced to you and to listen to your your interpretations, I suppose, of your people. Yeah, and that's the thing too. It's like I don't, I don't, I don't know that I'm much of a composer. I feel like an arranger at best, you know. Like I'm just, I, 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 I'm picking up that that torch that has been that has been set down for me by by those who went before, and uh, and now I get to, you know. Uh, put some contemporary flair to it. Like, what does our music sound, what does our traditional music sound like today? And, you know, when we have access to orchestras and recording studios and like, and like all the fixings, you know, I, I, I love that. And I, and, and I just hope to keep expanding that and, and letting other indigenous people know that like, yeah, that is, that is the pathway. And we don't have to, we don't have to put ourselves aside to enter these spaces. In fact, we're all the better if we bring ourselves to those spaces. So thank you for letting me bring you up to this space. Truth. I can't wait to see you live. I'm very excited. So, um, and thank you for doing this and stay healthy. And I can't wait to hear the new music. Well, I'll be sure to send it down when it's, uh, when it's all ready. Thank you for listening. This show originates from the podcast capital, Austin, Texas. My producer is Sean O'Neill. Visit theradicalpot.com for updates and even some merchandise. Also, please subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I also ask that you please share episodes with your friends so we can continue to grow our community. See you all again next Friday.